Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Did a report two weeks ago, Judiciary Committee, a report that uh, talked about the political influence and the political shenanigans going on in our Justice Department. Based on 14 FBI agents who come talk to our office as, as whistleblowers, one of those agents said, and this is the term he used, he said, at the highest levels of the FBI, specifically the Washington Field Office, he said it's rotted to the core. Not talking about rank-and-file agents. They're doing good, good work. Talking about the top people at the Washington Field Office. I didn't need a whistleblower to tell me that. But remember when whistleblowers mattered and they had to be protected? Oh, those were good times. Remember when whistleblowers were these important people and had to be protected and how dare you not believe them? Oh, that was, it was such a, it was such a simple time back then. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, 833-468-8669, 833-GOT-TONY. That is all very true. And of course, the FBI leadership is not to be trusted. Christopher Ray won't answer questions. That's his plan. I can't answer that. Oh, it's an ongoing investigation. Some senators have got to start yelling at the FBI director in front of the world. This is nasty stuff. Nasty stuff. The defense of the indefensible. But I want to switch the gear half a bit to Republicans having control of Congress, the House of Representatives. And saying they're going to investigate Hunter Biden and people saying, why are they leading with this? I would argue, and I have argued, you've heard me say this, that I would have led with, here's a plan to reduce spending. Boom. Right out the gate. Right out the gate. Here's the plan to reduce spending. We have to reduce the spending to get the inflation under control. And we need the Biden administration to understand basic economics and work with us to get this done. The spending has to be reduced. We also have to start paying off some debt. We also have to deal with the fact that China steals and maybe their stealing of technology and information is their payment. Why are we paying people who also steal from us? It makes no sense whatsoever. But we should not ever, ever be pushed off the target. Absolutely, there should be an investigation into Hunter Biden. Absolutely, there should be an investigation to his relationships with Ukraine and China and his dealings and the big guy, most likely meaning his father and the 10% and the access that was given because his father was the then vice president, now president of the United States. It is a national security conversation. Maybe, just maybe, if the story about Hunter Biden's laptop had been allowed on social media, you don't get to this moment. But they suppressed the story. They suppressed a conversation about a man who has very questionable ties. And so, therefore, the investigation has to happen. And any Democrat who doesn't like it, so what? They don't like it. You investigate anything you want. You lie about investigations. You told us Trump was guilty, Russia, Russia, Russia. Oh, my gosh, the raid on Trump's home and Mar-a-Lago. He's holding nuclear secrets. The Washington Post put it out. There were no nuclear secrets. Maybe it was mementos because of his ego, keepsakes. All right, you could argue that that's bad. But there weren't nuclear secrets like you guys leaked months before an election. You have no moral standing political left. There's going to be an investigation into Hunter Biden because that's the way it goes. And maybe you should learn a lesson. Stop being who you are, aggressive and nasty and rude and un- uncaring of facts. 
Hunter Biden has some things to answer for and let the investigation begin into him and his father. I got no problem with that whatsoever. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. The Colts game didn't get moved. The Bills, the Browns, that got moved to Detroit because of that insane snowstorm that is right now hitting western New York. Coming off the lake, they're expecting three to six feet of snow. Just absolutely crazy what's going to be going on. Crazy. What's happening with the snow? But the Colts, well, they've got their own issue. They were able to win a game under Jeff Saturday. Was it just luck? Or was it just because it was the Raiders? And can they do it again at home against the Eagles? Tony Katz, good to be with you. JMV joins us right now, 93.5107.5, the fan, 3 to 6 p.m. Um... You, you watch what happened last week, 25-20, over the Raiders, the Colts over the Raiders. You've now had a few days to digest this. Is this a conversation of Jeff Saturday changing the attitude of this team, or is this a conversation of the Raiders aren't very good and they know it? Hey, Tony, the Raiders, the Raiders aren't very good and they know it, but at the same time, there was a need for a new voice in that locker room. I talked to DeForest Buckter on my show yesterday and you know while he obviously loves Frank Reich and was sorry to see him go he was like his teammates inspired by the words of Jeff Saturday and I know oftentimes these guys can just kind of tell you what you want to hear but DeForest Buckner's not one of them he's not going to be one of them to tell you what you want to hear for the sake of an interview and I do I do buy that but the Raiders are a bad football team and we're going to find out exactly what played the more significant role coming up on Sunday and I'll tell you this We're going to find out about the offensive line because what have we talked about all season long with whomever's under center with this team regardless is they're going to be as good offensively as that offensive line. If they can get a similar level of play on Sunday as they did against that bad team in Vegas, then they're going to be able to hang. Make no mistake. If they don't, then they're probably going to get about 35 or 40 hung up on them because they're not going to be able to compete. So that's how I look at it. It all starts with the offensive line, but a new voice, certainly Tony, in that locker room was long overdue. You read some of the commentary from Paris Campbell, from Ryan Kelly, and it really is damning of Frank Reich. So the question is, how did he not notice it? Is it just a total belief that his way was the only way, or was he somehow dejected? Looking back on it, was Frank Reich a guy saying, you know what, I can't do this anymore, which would seem very odd. He's a professional. He has a, he has a history. That would seem an odd thing to say, but I'm curious about whether or not it's real. He just was not an inspirational speaker in general. You know, people called him a, a player's coach, and there are a variety of ways, Tony. You can be a player's coach. There's no doubt about it. Jeff Saturday's a player's coach. He just goes about it in his first week in a different way. He's, you know, more vocal, certainly, and he hit all the right notes. I just think that this team had heard the same thing 
over and over and over again. And I think really in whatever business you're in, I think we all fall victim to that at some point. You just hear the same voice. You kind of wonder, all right, well, maybe this group is not responding, Tony, like it used to or has as we expected it to. So that change in tone, that change in voice of the locker room was necessary. But, again, make no mistake, this is all going to come down to exactly how this team plays, and that does start with the offensive line. And Philadelphia's coming off a Monday nighter, Tony, in Washington, where they got their first loss of the season. They're probably going to be a little bit angry. You can tell they're going for it. They went out and signed a couple of well-known defensive tackles because they got banged up on Monday night as well. Lynn Beth Joseph and Indomitian Sue, now a member of the Eagles team. So, clearly, they're going for it. And that is going to be a tough one for the Colts beyond belief coming up on Sunday. Talking to JMV from 93.5107.5 The Fan. Uh, you have Jonathan Taylor, the AFC player of the week with that 160, 147 yards, whatever it was, in the 66-yard uh, touchdown. Dear Lord, you got Matt Ryan running for 35. Uh, the run game, run, hashtag run the damn ball, something that people have been screaming and yelling about in Indy for years. Is that message finally received? Are we going to see against the Eagles, even though they do have that very good defensive front, even though they just did bring in Ndamukong Tsu from the Lions, from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who's been waiting for a team uh, to reach out to him? Uh this is, again, the offensive line's challenge to give Jonathan Taylor some level of opening. Hey, Tony, to your point here, Washington on Monday night did not run it at a high yards per carry clip. I think just maybe a little bit over three yards per carry, maybe even a little bit less than three. But what did they do? They ran it, and they stayed with the run, and it became overall productive because eight o'clock. If you look at the time of possession on Monday night, it seemed like the commanders had the football the entirety of the game. That played a significant role. The commanders also defensively, and this is what's going to fall on the shoulders of the Colts' defense, you know, they turned over the Eagles. And you look at the Eagles and quarterback Jalen Hurts. I'll give you a great example of this. The Colts have been successful in performers under center like Hurts. Patrick Mahomes, you think about going back to September, how well they played defensively against him. He's a guy with similar traits. You get a guy like Russell Wilson that moves around, stands the play as well. They played very well against him in that ugly game on a Thursday night. So this team has played well against that type of quarterback. But Jalen Hurts is playing at a different level this season, and you're going to see some adjustments from the Eagles certainly coming into Sunday because it's almost like Washington put out a blueprint of success against what Nick Sirianni was coaching up offensively through the first seven games of the season. But the Colts have a guy, and hopefully an offensive line, that are able to control the clock if they're able to run the football. That's probably job number one on Sunday for them, for sure. Let's talk a little bit about Matt Ryan. Because all the stories said Matt Ryan gets benched by Coach Reich, and he, he, even though he had the, the, the shoulder separation, he wasn't going to be able to play for a couple weeks anyway. He took it like a pro. He was there working with Sam Ellinger. He would not stop. He was constant and consistent, and I think clearly it did something for that locker room, showing those guys uh, you know, that he, he can handle the adversity. But you read some stories about how he, you know, learned about how he was going to be starting this past week against the Raiders, and you can kind of tell that his ego was bruised and he was pretty PO'd. Is there a new Matt Ryan uh, to see going forward compared to the uh, multiple sacks, nine interception Matt Ryan we saw in the first seven games of the season? I'm going to extend off your point here, and you make a good one. 
regarding Matt Ryan because he was. And you know who else was, Tony? That locker room was. That locker room didn't understand it. And when I talked to DeForest Buckner yesterday, that locker room was galvanized by not only the words of Jeff Saturday, but also galvanized by the fact that they were going with Matt Ryan because most of that locker room won't come out and say it. Most of that locker room was on board with Matt Ryan still being the quarterback and did not understand the change in the first place. So, again, it's it's such a weird thing to hear because it makes you wonder what Reich was thinking and really what Ballard was thinking in allowing this to move forward. But getting back to my question, what is Matt Ryan prepared to really start slinging the ball or is he going to be this underneath guy, Alec Pierce on that slant and get the eight yards, get the eight yards, get the eight yards or the six, six, six? I think it's going to be a lot of like what we saw. Tony, this past weekend, I do kind of moving him around a little bit, making sure the pocket, whatever it is, wherever it is, stays clean and shorter routes, those crossers that work so successfully that Parks Frazier was calling offensively on Sunday against the Raiders. I think you're going to see a lot more of that. And here's the reason why we all won over the course of the season where the offensive line did not protect to the level that we expected. And Matt Ryan was for his life, Tony. We all thought maybe you should do that. Maybe you should go with shorter routes some crossers. Maybe you should move him around, move him away from the heavy pressure just a little bit. And they did that this past Sunday. I would expect more to that and probably taking some down-the-field shots with guys like Alec Pierce. And here's the other thing. You have Paris Campbell engaged. Paris Campbell has become, for the first time, and I'm talking in his Colts career or an extended period of time, a weapon. So I would expect more of trying to utilize and finding Paris Campbell in space to see if he can use his athletic ability and speed to uh, break something open. But I don't know about on the field as much, but certainly I think you're going to see a lot of the passing game we saw Sunday. In five seconds or less, give me the score. Um, I think I picked the uh, Colts to lose, uh, Eagles 23, Colts 21, Tony, Sunday. JMV, appreciate you. Um, I I don't – what what you want as a fan versus what the reality is. And the Eagles are simply a better team every single way. I, I think the, the, the conversation's different. I, I couldn't tell you where the score is going to be. I'd be lying if I could even come close. It's that if the Colts win, you will have a whole new feel of hashtag believe around Indianapolis and around the league. They win. They're 5-5-1. Five, five and one. So it's is it worse than 500? Is it better than 500 or 5 5 and 1? It's it's worse than 500. It's there, 5 5 and 1. Hold on a second, Ryan. 5 5 and 1 is not 500. It's it, exactly 500. 5 and 5 is 500. 5 5 and 1 is a totally different mathematics. The tie doesn't it doesn't make you 500 if you've tied. There's got you you're under 500 at that at that moment. You played 11 games. You're 5 5 and 1. By definition, you can't be at 500. But I think that's how people might feel about it. We'll, we'll leave it there. That's how they'll feel about it. It'll still be you beat the Eagles. It's hashtag believe. Lucas Oil will go back crap out of their mind. Crazy. Insane. This this will be it will be uh, Saturday night fever is what people are gonna call it and everyone's gonna go crazy and nuts and be like oh this team's going to the Super Bowl get I, are we betting money are we putting money on this Ryan you want to put cash on this 
You don't want to put you can't be silent on radio. It doesn't it doesn't work. It does, that radio requires voice. I don't think that's a good use of cash. Oh, I, to put to put money on this and not on the Colts. Okay, I'm not I'm not saying this game. If the Colts win, people are gonna go crazy and think they're going to the Super Bowl. Oh, 100. percent Okay, I'll put I'm, money on that. I'll put money on that. Correct, correct, correct. Oh, people are gonna go out of their heads. People are gonna go out of their heads. I think it's fascinating when you when you think about Coach Reich, Frank Reich, who was relieved of his duties a couple weeks ago. You don't know that your system's not working and you don't change your system. Now, I will argue that at first you don't change your system. At first you don't change your system. You've done things that work. You've done solid play calling. You, you're you the guy who ran uh, the created the play that won the Eagles the Super Bowl five years ago, six years ago, whatever it was now. I get that, but the attitude, you don't notice your players, you don't notice maybe a different way to, to, to bring them motivation, or is it that you have a skill set and the skill set doesn't apply? There's a real big difference between management and leadership. Massive, massive difference between management and leadership. These are two different skills and both are very important. And sometimes you have one and not the other. And sometimes you have it in wrong degrees for for, for wrong places. I, I thought the statements from, as I said, the center, Ryan Kelly, wide receiver, Paris Campbell, I thought they were very damning of, of Coach Reich when they came out earlier this past week. And JMV is just, he's really bust, uh, buttressing that, that argument that he just did not have this team and it matters. And you want... You want excitement, you want passion, but you also want professionalism. You want somebody who doesn't go too over the edge, but can also light fire. Also, like, like bring, bring you out, challenge you well. Some coaches work like that, full-on challenge. Some coaches work on the idea of, let this team hate me, and then they'll go far in their collective hate of me. Wasn't that uh, Herb Ritz? Uh, the 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 hockey coach, the 1980 U.S. Olympic team, wasn't it Herb Britz? Wasn't that his that name? Was. Right. They hated him. They absolutely, positively hated him. And that was that was the story. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Colts win. You'll be hearing people talk about Colts Super Bowl bound, no question. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz today. So is Twitter still working? Is it is it down? Is, if, if it ends, if Twitter does end, uh, how do we all survive? Because that's the way people are acting. Really in media, can't believe Elon Musk has done this. I can't believe he's demanding people show up and work. How dare he? Because he dare. Because he dare. Because he spent $44 billion dollars on the company and these news outlets, these media outlets are just wicked upset that he may be okay with free speech. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything. TonyKatz.locals.com. We all understand at this stage of the game that that's the issue. The issue here is that the political left no longer has control over a major tool of disseminating information. As we talked about regarding Hunter Biden, they suppressed information that was factual. 
They're the ones who engaged in things, whether they call it disinformation, misinformation. They're the ones guilty of it, but they don't care as long as it helps them politically. I would be a fool if I said that everybody at Twitter has the same political thought. I would not be wrong if I said Twitter put forth one political thought. They suppressed one political thought. They advanced one political thought. These are the facts. So whether there were individual people who may disagree, that's of course possible. Whether Twitter acted as a company not in the best interest of people engaged in conversation, that's fact. And the left is outraged. Outraged, I say, because they no longer have control of the tool. And all this talk, I mean, they want to do investigations of Elon Musk now and everything else. This is retribution. This is how dare you take away from us what is ours. Remember what they told the political right. If you don't like it, go start your own platform. Well, they started Parler. Nope, can't have that. Can't have it in stores. Can't have it in the app store. Can't have it on, on the servers. Nope, nope, nope. What you're engaged in is unacceptable to us. We decide. So we went about creating our own platform. And you told them no. You told them no. You worked to keep them from engaging in conversation. And to be clear, I'm not saying there aren't garbage conversations that take place on other platforms. I'm saying there are garbage conversations that take place on Twitter. There's bigotry that takes place on Twitter. You allow the Ayatollah Khomeini, who wants me dead, my kids dead, my wife dead, my mother dead. They would bring my grandmother, the sweet Ethel, back to life to kill her. He's allowed on Twitter, and you're going to tell me about how you're protecting the platform, stop. Stop with your silliness. Stop with your madness. But what Elon Musk did is said, look, uh, first, uh, Thanos snap, and gone, half the employees. Gone. Uh, and then he said to the other ones, uh, you better be prepared to work and work hard or leave. He gave them an ultimatum. Now, you can argue whether or not that's a smart business move. You can discuss whether or not you think that's smart business. Is that the way to engage your employees? You can agree, disagree, modifications. All, that seems rational and normal to me. Rational and normal to do exactly that. But you can't say that Elon Musk has no right to do this. Some people had, had, had put out, he's, gonna, he's, he's taking away their free lunches. He's going to starve these people. Shut your whole face and your mouth and your mouth face. He doesn't owe you lunch. They were spending on free meals for Twitter employees $13 million a year. They, were, they didn't even have employees at the office. $13 million a year on steak and shrimp. Uh, probably something vegan. These people don't eat steak and shrimp. Uh, on, on, on some kind of food sustenance. And they're upset. Facebook just took away dry cleaning. That's right. They paid for the dry cleaning of employees. That's why people in radio only show up in hoodies. Because they're not getting their dry cleaning paid for. And they're like, well, well, forget that. What's in the swag closet? All right, I'll wear these concert t-shirts from 17 years ago for the next five years. These people are elitists. They live in a, a fiefdom where they just expect everything to be handed to them and everything to be done. And here comes Elon Musk saying, look, 
You got to work long hours at high intensity. And if not, you're going to get three months of severance. Have a nice day. And people are like, bah, Felicia, somewhere I have that. Don't I have that? I, I, I said that earlier. I was pretty sure that I had. I'll, I'll find it for you. I'll get it. Have no fear. So people left. I consider this to be a very rational point of view. If you don't want to work somewhere, don't work there. If you don't want to accept the deal, then don't accept the deal. That makes sense. Just leave. There it is. Did I hear it? Did I have it right? Bye, Felicia. Ah, you got to love that. Bye, Felicia. Gone. You go. Bye-bye. See you later. You have that power. You don't have the power to tell Elon Musk or any employer that they can't say X, Y, or Z. He didn't abuse anybody. He didn't assault anybody. He's not Harvey Weinstein. He simply said, long hours, high intensity, or three months severance, the choice is yours. And you make the choice. And so people are leaving. And then it's, oh my gosh, Twitter can't survive. Twitter can't keep up. Twitter's not going to be able to run as a platform. So the hell what? So what? Does it matter? Do our lives end if Twitter's not there? It ends for people whose sole uh, celebrity is attacking others, mocking others uh, on, on Twitter. Their whole world is based on how many followers they have. Oh, it's bad for them. It's not bad for you and me. We have families and friends and hobbies and lives and our work. We go about going about. These people are laughable. Laughable in their conversation, making this claim that it's it's the end of days and how dare Elon Musk. His company, he can do whatever he wants. And you got to assume he's just going to take a, a bunch of uh, SpaceX engineers or some others and drop them off at Twitter and be like, yeah, uh, this, this has got to run. And they'll be like, yeah, we got this. We send people to space and then we take the rockets and we land them so we can reuse them. We're cool. If we can figure out telemetry, we can figure out the edit button. Got you covered. Got you covered. Thank you very much. I got to assume that's the case. We're going to find out what happens. But there's another story not getting too much play. And that story is about a hearing of an injunction filed against the Indiana Attorney General, Todd Rokita. This regard is in regards to Dr. Caitlin Bernard, an OBGYN, who was the one who leaked the story about giving a child, a 10-year-old from Ohio, performing an abortion on her. And this led to, well, I can't believe Republicans are going to force 10-year-olds to have babies. It's an ugly, ugly, ugly story. And there were a lot of questions uh, about the story. And then data came out later. The question regarding Dr. Bernard is about the leak of the information. Because the leak of the information led to the outing of the girl. People knew who the girl was. And... There's a question as to whether or not she 
engaged in any breaking of the law by not keeping this information private as she's supposed to. Rokita, the attorney general, said he was going to investigate the doctor for potential criminal and professional violations. The doctor responds by sending a cease and desist letter. Dr. Bernard and Caldwell, uh, Dr. Amy Caldwell, her medical partner, along with their patients, seek to stop Rokita from infringing upon patient-doctor confidentiality and prevent future unchecked oversteps by the attorney general. This is exactly the conversation at play. If there's indeed patient-doctor confidentiality and you, the doctor, did not participate in that confidentiality, isn't that a problem? So now we're hearing that the lawsuit that the doctors are putting forward wants to block Rokita from using, quote, frivolous consumer complaints to issue subpoenas seeking medical records in order to continue his baseless investigation into physicians who provide abortion care. That's not the story. You can argue that Attorney General Rokita is a pro-life guy. He said so. I'm not speaking out of school when I, when I talk about this. But he did not engage in investigation of this doctor based on her performing abortions. He's engaging it based on a story that was made public by her. Why in the world should this not be investigated? For what reason would this not be investigated? It seems to me to be a pretty irrational thought the doctor can sue i'm not even saying the doctor can't sue but it seems that the the argument that that the doctor is making doesn't actually fit the the, the conversation it seems to be uh shine you know saying look at this shiny object over here rokita didn't go after doctors who perform abortions and he's not even going after in the sense that we may normally use the term, although I can appreciate if, if, if Dr. Bernard feels that way. Somebody leaked the confidential information. That's how, whether it's IndyStar or others, got the story. Is that a violation? I don't see, I, I don't see why this is, I don't see why this is a problem or an issue. I don't see why this is a thing. So uh, and me, I'm in, I'm in favor of, I'm in favor of allowing it to happen. I don't think the attorney general has done anything wrong here, and I'm not. I don't know why these doctors would uh, be allowed to simply say you're not allowed to uh, look at our records. There's a doctor, uh, Kyle Bertram Brothers from University of Louisville, a bioethicist testifying that forcing Bernard and Caldwell to disclose private medical records would be a broken promise that would damage the patient-doctor relationship. Isn't the argument that Dr. Bernard broke the patient-doctor relationship? Broke the promise? That would be my argument. We're going to see what the judge does here. We're going to keep an eye on that story. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today.
Yesterday was an emotional day. Uh, Speaker Pelosi has been the most consequential leader in my lifetime. Uh, she is a brilliant woman, an incredible strategist, someone with very uh, profound compassion, uh, someone who who leads us in a way that is about the children. You know, her mantra was it's for the children. She always had her eye on the impact that our work could make on the most vulnerable among us and the future generations. Um, at the same time, she was a, a, a great ally to me and to my community and my district. That is Representative Escobar uh, singing the praises of Speaker Pelosi, who uh, is letting everybody know uh, that she will not be running for leadership. They have lost the House, and Speaker Pelosi is walking uh, away. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, good to be with you. This was Pelosi in the moment. There is no greater official honor for me than to stand on this floor and to speak for the people of San Francisco. This I will continue to do as a member of the House, speaking for the people of San Francisco, serving the great state of California, and defending our Constitution. And with great confidence in our caucus, I will not seek re-election to Democratic leadership in the next Congress. Expect Speaker Pelosi to be named the next ambassador to Italy. Expect that to happen in the next six months, and they will have a special election in San Francisco, and that will be that. That's going to happen. That's going uh, to to come. Um, let's be people who look at this rationally and not politically. Because politically, um, I got you. You you think it's it's by Felicia uh, to uh, from Elon Musk employees over Twitter. Bye, Felicia. Gone. I will not miss Speaker Pelosi and her abusiveness. But you have to take the step back and say that the Democrats are in a very unique, strange spot. That they say that Speaker Pelosi is the most consequential speaker of their lifetime. Uh, for, for them, yes. For me, it'd be Newt Gingrich. But we also are talking about a total lack of historical perspective in talking about great speakers throughout history. It's not something that's well known. So don't be surprised when people say such a thing. Many people grew up only knowing Speaker Pelosi. So yeah, makes perfect sense. For progressives, makes perfect sense. But you also have to accept the fact that Nancy Pelosi wasn't the progressive the way Ocasio-Cortez or Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, Ayanna Presley, Jamal Bowman are. And now if you're going to have a house that is run on the Democratic side by Hakeem Jeffries of New York, you might see a whole new introduction of that progressive mindset. Something that Pelosi at least tried to push back on, lost too many times. It took uh, Ocasio-Cortez's implosion, really with the dress at the Met Gala that said tax the rich. That was the implosion. The tone deafness of that, this multi-thousand dollar ticket that she didn't even pay for while she's hanging out with billionaires. Tax the rich. It, it It was such a swing and a miss. It really hurt her, and her social media game never, ever, ever recovered. She used to be something on social media. Now, as I've often discussed, childlike policies discussed in a childlike manner. What the Democrats do next is going to be very interesting because they don't have somebody as strong as Pelosi to herd all the people together, 
raise the money? I'm not saying Hakeem Jeffries, the representative, can't do it. I'm saying we have to see if he can. And that, not being able to keep that caucus together, that's that's a rough one. To that, I mean, that's a hard thing to do. Is she gonna be is, is he gonna be able to do it? And is she gonna be like a de facto speaker from the wings? That's another question. This is for many people, finally she's gone. She's been fired, that's great, but now you gotta figure out what happens next with that party and how it might affect you. Find everything at TonyCats.locals.com. Monday, everyone. Take care.